Hi, I'm Chris Neeland, host of the new podcast, Cult Brand Secrets, brought to you by The Gathering and Evergreen Podcasts. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit and a masterclass for brand and business leaders hoping to reap the benefits of cult-like adoration. Every year, The Gathering brings together disruptors from around the globe to learn from and to celebrate the leaders behind some of the most iconic brands in the world, like Marvel, Skittles, Beats by Dre, Yeti, and the Dallas Cowboys. For the first time ever, this podcast will give you access to some of the exclusive business leader learnings from The Gathering's past events. You know, I'm going to diverge a bit in my introduction of today's speaker who was at the 2019 gathering. As you know, I normally spend a few minutes introducing you to our guest's career and their company. Uh, But frankly, the LA Lakers don't require any long introduction from me. And the more I thought about it, really the best way to introduce you to Tim Harris is through two quick personal stories. You know, I have tried to communicate time and time again at the gathering that there is this high correlation uh, between cult brands and the character of the cult brand leader. And, you know, Tim has been an executive within the Lakers organization since the mid 90s. And even though he doesn't get involved in, you know, like drafting players or running the game, he does manage that business. And he's really responsible for all of the fandom that they enjoy, the profitability that they enjoy, and certainly the brand that the LA Lakers has become. Now, I wouldn't consider uh, Tim and I friends. Uh, I don't think that we spend enough time together to really call ourselves friends, but we are friendly, um, largely in part to his kindness and uh, his generosity. After Tim was honored at the gathering, he seemed impressed with some of the cult brand ideology, and he decided to host myself and some of our team members, he even invited our wives to come to this big annual retreat that the Lakers host in Napa Valley. While we were there, he went out of his way to introduce us to some of the Hall of Fame players from the great Lakers teams of the past and uh, several big sponsors who uh, are part of the Lakers organization. And uh, Tim's, you know, thanks to his endorsement of us and uh, those introductions to different senior decision makers, it helped Colt, uh, our agency, win a meaningful piece of new business. And there was no expectation, certainly no obligation for Tim to do any of that, but he was thoughtful and he was considerate enough to give us that audience and to give us that experience. And for that, I thank him. Even more personally, a year later, uh, I found myself in LA with my teenage kid who was going through some issues and I was debating whether or not to call Tim, but the dad in me sort of overruled the professional in me and I did what I thought I would never do and I called him up to see if he can get us into a game. Uh, And I honestly thought that he might give us some discounted tickets or maybe some free tickets up in the nosebleed section, but instead he was so gracious. uh, He met us at the front door of the stadium and he literally just walked my son and I right under the court uh, during the Lakers and the Houston Rockets pregame warmup. We were literally just standing feet away from LeBron James on one end and James Harden on the other. And 
uh, all these stars were around us and we were just taking pictures and standing there as the stadium filled up. And to be honest, I thought Tim kept us out there uh, an inappropriate amount of time because we finally got brisked off the court just as somebody came out to sing the national anthem and they did the tip off. We then sat with him a few rows above courtside and we had an unforgettable evening. So. I share those two examples with you because Tim is a super busy executive. He's a super powerful guy. He's thriving at this intersection of sports and entertainment. But he took time out of his day to help a schmuck like me. Uh, he knows that I'm not anybody who could ever do anything to help his career. Uh, I certainly can't repay him for those favors, but he thought it was important to make me feel important. Uh, and so Tim is an exceptional person, but he's also not the exception because the cult brands are just representatives of some of the most high caliber humans I know. There's organizations are beloved for a reason and that's because people like Tim are beloved and they're the ones calling the shots. So let's dive into it. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for showing up for my session. Coming to do something like this, presenting at the cult gathering, talking about ourselves, and our brand, it's not something we normally do. It's, it's not in our DNA. And that's partly due to the fact that my wife reminds me that I tend to look like a World War II German tank commander. <laughs> and I can be a little imposing, but it's also we like our players to talk about us. But the reason we accepted this was because the invite. The invite that I got was so cool that I had to respond. So there's somewhere in there is a lesson about the positive nature of a first impression. So when I asked Chris, you know, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to talk about? And I understand you want me to entertain or educate or enlighten if I can, but what do you want me to talk about? And he said, well, if you can, can you talk about yourself a little bit, but then talk about the brand. Don't talk about the business. Meaning don't, they don't need to hear about how to sell a season ticket or package a sponsorship or do a media deal. Lift behind the curtain. And so for the next three and a half hours, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. So me, after I stopped chasing a soccer ball around for a while, I got hired at the forum to sell sponsorships for tennis and volleyball exhibitions. Now, I didn't really know much about tennis. I didn't really know much about volleyball, and I knew zero about sponsorship, which clearly made me the ideal candidate. But I started to understand buildings and manifest and promotion and events. But I didn't touch the Lakers until it was decided that we would move downtown to Staples Center, and they needed someone to oversee that move, someone who understood brand, promotion, manifest, changeover. And that's when I moved over to the Lakers side. Now, a little bit about the Lakers, and I know most people have name recognition, but we've been in the league 60 odd years. We've been to the finals 31 times in the 60 odd years, and we've won 16 championships. So we go to the finals just about every other year, and every other time we go, we win. But to understand who we are today, you need to understand who we were and how we got there. 
Now, in the 60s and 70s, the Lakers were successful and they were winning championships, but they didn't own Los Angeles. We're talking about the Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor days, but they didn't own Los Angeles. The Dodgers owned Los Angeles. It wasn't until 1979 when Dr. Jerry Buss bought the Lakers. Now, he was a physical chemist, so an incredibly bright guy. But this bright guy knew one thing that we take for granted now. Athletes love entertainers, and entertainers love athletes, and fans like them both. You see, back then, all he had was gate. A little bit of sponsorship, a little bit of food and beverage, a little bit of merch, but all you had was gate. They were winning, but they weren't drawing. So he decided one of his first moves was in 1979 was to draft this young point guard out of Michigan State named Irvin Johnson because he knew not only do we have to win, but we have to win in an entertaining way, Showtime. And that would bring Hollywood. And if he could bring Hollywood, he knew the fans would come with Hollywood to go with the fans who were already there. But beyond being a super smart guy, he was innovative. This guy was before his time. He started the first regional sports network. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. When he bought the Lakers, we had cheerleaders, rah, rah, pom, pom. He said, no, I want a dance team. And he created the Laker girls. Now every NBA team has a dance team. It was all about gate. And at that time, he bought not only the Forum and the Lakers, but he got the Los Angeles Kings, the hockey team. And he was having a hard time selling hockey. And all he had was gate. The Lakers were on fire. This is the early 80s. So he decides, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my best seating inventory and I'm going to package it. You get everything. Every time the lights go on, you get that seat. Lakers, Kings, concerts. And what he did is he guaranteed gate for the Kings. So in essence, he created the first club seat. He did what is probably the third naming rights deal in all of sports. A little trivia for you all. You can take it home. Fenway Park, Red Sox, had been named after Fenway Real Estate Company. He was really curious about Wrigley Field. The Wrigleys owned the Cubs in the stadium, and Wrigley was a gum. So Dr. Buss liked to go to the track and watch the horses. And he went one day with some executives from Great Western Bank, his friends. Great Western Bank, which would become Washington Mutual, which would become Chase. And he's sitting with them, and he says, hey, how'd you like, this is the mid-'80s, how'd you like to put your name on our building? Instead of the fabulous forum, we'll call it the Great Western Forum. Really? Yeah, you're going to pay me a bunch of money, and you're going to put the name on the building. It's the first naming rights deal. Now, there is no building that doesn't have naming rights deal that's, that's built now. What he taught us is sports is not a complicated business. This guy was incredibly smart, but he said sports is not complicated. It's hard. It's hard, but it's not complicated. If you're seeing hard, don't think complicated, because if you think complicated, you're going to try and find a complicated solution when all it is is it's hard. It's just hard. And the reason that he's felt it's just not complicated is because he told us we're just in the business of people. See, we're a people product that's played by people and it's managed and sold and operated by people and it's consumed by people. We're in the people business. So there's no reason to overcomplicate it. And he always reminded us we're a family run company and we're gonna treat it like a family-run company 
And even though we are a multi-billion dollar brand, we're gonna act like we're a corner store with corner store values, honesty, trust, loyalty. And from that, we created our own foundation, sort of a tenet of what we believe. And that is we know who we are and we know who we are not. And every time we're faced with a challenge, we come back to, well, what's the course of action that is most in line with who we are? Do we make mistakes? Of course we make mistakes. But it's always about who we are. And we always come back to that. We do not day trade in solutions. We always come back to who we are. Now, since this time, a lot has changed. We live in this world now. 1% of all worldwide NBA fans actually ever attend a game. 1%. That's how giant this global brand is. Not just the Lakers, but the NBA. One in every eight human beings on the planet are NBA fans. One in every eight human beings are NBA fans. Now, I talked about the RSN. Now, it wasn't that long ago. You would never televise a home game. Remember, all you had was your gate. So you never televise the home games because people might stay home. They won't buy a ticket. But what Dr. Buss realized in the mid-80s was, I need a bigger forum. And I can't make a bigger forum. I can't bring them to me, so I will bring us to them. I'll start televising the game. It was early branding. And really what it is, is now you'd be crazy not to have an RSN deal because of commerce, but what's the other C that it provides us? Content. We have to feed the beast. We gotta feed the 100% through all of our digital channels. We have to feed the beast. When I was negotiating with Time Warner five years ago on a new RSN deal, I said to them, we can't, we have to get out of the, out of the model of going from game in just to the next programming. We have to give them more. There's an itch that needs scratching more immersive programming, more storytelling. And they got it, they got it. Time Warner infinitely understood this. And so they delivered for us as a partner behind the scenes, intimate stories about our guys because there's a hunger for it because that's who's coming to the games. So where are we headed? Where are we headed? In the next 15 seconds when I tell you it was not that long ago, a few years ago, when 30 NBA teams sat around a room and we debated, should we have Wi-Fi in our arenas? Is that the smart move? Having Wi-Fi? If we have Wi-Fi, they're gonna be looking down instead of looking up at the video board when we're activating. They're gonna be looking down at their phones instead of on the court when we're activating our partners. But who in, in their right mind would think you're not gonna have Wi-Fi now? If for no other reason, you need to communicate with the babysitter. What percentage of 18 to 25 year olds would you think when they're taking in an NBA game, either live or on some other platform are engaged in a second screen experience? 100%, 100%. That's our reality. This is the reality, but here's our challenge. Corner store, right? Corner store, Staples Center, 20,000 people. 25% of our season ticket holders have been with us since before 1980. Now I went to public school and I know from 1980 until today is a lot of years. 
they're older than me and I'm 150 years old. So these people are long in the tooth. They don't get this yet. They're trying to get there, but they don't get this. What they want, Tim, I need a thing that's kind of cardboardy, that has perforation, that it's torn, because that's a real ticket. So we have to be mindful as we evolve to where we know we're going, corner store, we don't forget who we are. We don't forget who we are. But here's what we have as a benefit. Do you know what our fans all ask us all the time? When is our next championship? I've been in sports forever, but I suspect in other industries, goods and services, you hear a lot of what? What's the next big thing? What's the next big service? For us, it's when. When are you going to win? It's expected. Now, through our years, we've always had the ability to refresh the product, to deliver what Dr. Buss knew was needed. Jerry West, Will, Elgin. Magic, Kareem, Big Game, Showtime. Shaq Kobe, Kobe Powell, LeBron. But along the way, we've been tripped. We didn't plan on it, but we've been tripped. We didn't expect or anticipate that Magic was gonna retire in 1992. It tripped us. We weren't expecting us, we fell down. And it took us until 1996 when we got Shaq to get going again. We didn't expect that the NBA would rescind the Chris Paul trade. We got tripped, we fell down, we got back up, and we regrouped and now we have LeBron. And hopefully, this is gonna lead us to greatness. But during that time period, when we got tripped, we had to know what to tell our fans. Because we, honest, corner store. So all we did was we were honest with them. This is who we are, this is what we're doing, we're trying. We didn't bamboozle them. In sports, generally, you sell hope and you sell success, one or two. If you're succeeding, you're riding success. If you're selling hope, you're riding hope until you succeed. Well, unlike most sports teams, because of that, our fans have an expectation. We can't sell them hope. They expect to win. So there's pressure that comes with that, but there's loyalty that comes with that. And I'll give you an example. Last February, a year ago, we were in the midst of what would be our fifth season without making the playoffs. And that's an eternity for us. In February, we went out with season ticket renewals with a 6% increase, which is healthy for a team that hasn't been to the playoffs at that time in four years, and it would end up being five. Because we're honest, in the literature that we sent communicating with them about their renewal, we didn't use the words free agency, we didn't use the words cap space. We didn't talk about how we're gonna go out and make a splash in July. And we certainly didn't use LeBron or any other free agent because that would be tampering with a capital T. We were just honest. We have a young core. We're building our young core. And we renewed at 99%. We got fired by 1% of the folks. That's what we have going for us. In Lakerland, we have three tent poles. Our player tent pole, our fan tent pole, and us, our company tent pole. And when one tent pole falls, the tent falls. So I don't know how many of you in the room 
manage people, manage business, own business, manage a group, manage a division. But how many times in the last two years have you gone home and you've said to somebody, God, I swear, I think all I do is HR stuff. I'm not in, fill in the blank, I'm in HR. There's days I do it, but I have to remind myself, I'm not in HR, I'm in culture. I'm in culture because that's what we're about. Because nowadays, culture kicks strategies ass every single day, every single day. So what we do, we encourage our players to give back to the community. We encourage our employees to give back. I want to tell you a story about an employee empowerment program. This is Steve. Steve has run our mailroom since 1985. He has run our mailroom since 1985. We started a program a couple of years ago that we really wanted to start called Caught You Being a Laker. And this was about empowering our employees. And so what we did is we gave, every employee is armed with some of these cards. Take them, don't take them, it's up to you. And what we challenge them to do is we challenge them when you're out in the community, when you're at the park, when you're shopping, if you see someone who's exhibiting traits of being a Laker. They're wearing a Kobe Lakers jersey. They're wearing a LeBron jersey. They've got a Lakers hat. You can give them one of those cards. And the holder of that card goes online and prints two free tickets to a game. We don't need to put butts in seats. We're not trying to sell. We're not trying to paper the building. This is about empowering Steve. The program will never be sponsored, and we don't promote it because there's an evangelical nature to it. So we rolled this program out a few years ago, and on Monday I come to work, and Steve's standing outside my office. And he says, can I talk to you? And I said, sure, Steve, come on in. So he says, I wanna thank you for caught you being a Laker. And I said, oh my goodness, did you do it? He said, yeah, I have to tell you this story. I was, I was at a park and I saw a kid with a Shaq jersey and he was shooting hoops. And I went up to him and he says, I was nervous, I'd never done this before. And I went up to him and I said, excuse me, my name's Steve and I'm with the Lakers and that I want to let you know I caught you being a Laker. And this 12-year-old says, you know, like this guy's walking up, Steve's walking up to him and says like, you know, and he says, well, what's this? And Steve says, well, this is a program we're running. And when you go home, there's instructions on the back of the card and you follow the instructions, you'll be able to download and have two free tickets to a Lakers game. Kid starts crying. I've never been to a Laker game. I can never get tickets. So Steve's telling this story. Kid's crying. Steve says he's crying. Steve's in my office crying. I'm almost crying. But at that very moment in time, at that weekend at the park, Steve, mailroom guy, 1985, felt as important to the success of our brand as anything that's taking place on a court. Anything. This guy is addicted to the program. It's how he spends his weekends. He is a great brand ambassador. When I interview folks for a job, it's at the final interview. I often ask them, and they're usually somewhat senior in, in nature. They're not young, young kids. They're senior in nature. And I'll say, do you have kids? And invariably, they say, yes, I have young kids. And I tell them, look, I'm a dad, but we're in the people business. And when you're done with this job and you're on your deathbed, I'm going to guarantee you one thing. Those that are surrounding you are not going to be asking you, tell us more, Grandpa, about the digital program you laid out with the Lakers. Tell us, Grandma, about how many season ticket holders you renewed. They're going to be asking you about family. And I tell them, 
So help me, if I find out that you're missing Little League games because you're working on non-emergency Lakers stuff, if I find out you missed a school play because you're working on non-vital Lakers stuff, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be pissed. You know, when I meet with our young folks, I, I quiz them. I say, what do, you, what do you think is the overarching goal of the Lakers? And they always bite and they say, oh, it's to win a championship. And I say, okay, so if the goal is to win a championship, so we should spend 200, 300, 400, 500, let's spend a billion dollars on players in a year because if the goal is to win a championship, what do we care, right? And of course, that's not the answer because we lose the team quickly. So what we tell them is, yes, yes, we want to win championships, but the goal is to grow the enterprise. The goal is, of this whole venture is to grow the enterprise. And yes, you do that by winning championships, but most importantly, you, you do it by knowing who you are, and knowing who you are not. You do it by evolving, but not abandoning your history, corner store. You're honest and you're transparent with your fan base, with your customer base, and you invest in culture. Because at the very, very end of the day, guys, it's just about people. It's just about people. Thank you so much. All right, Tim, let's get you into the hot seat here. It really is an uncanny resemblance to a German tank commander. And I know now, who I am and it, I know who I am not. Well, so let's actually, let's start there. So you've mentioned that a few times, but you didn't elaborate on who the Lakers are and who they are not. Is that something that is, is that an essence or is that something that's codified in the way that the Airbnb would have said? It's, we don't have a policy book that says, you know, here's every situation and here's how you deal with it because this is who we are. It's not, we are one, two, three, four, ten. 10. It's more of an essence. It's a, it's a feel. You know, when you come work for us, you know, you know how a Lakers person is supposed to act, how a Laker person is supposed to be above a money grab. Now, make, make no mistake, we are in a for-profit business. And sometimes when you're in a for-profit business, the push-pull can be difficult because you're trying to act like a corner store, but we're in a for-profit business, you know, especially now we're in partners with the rest of the league. But it's understanding the balance of that, of, you know, yes, we have to conduct a business, but let's do the right thing. Let's always remember to do the right thing. Is there an example of when you say in what we are not, where you've put aside maybe a lucrative opportunity because it wasn't on brand? Yeah. I mean, I, I think who we are not is, you know, when we weren't making the playoffs for the last four or five years, up until the 6% year, every year, you know, we have this wealth of pricing data on how we should price our, our tickets. And every single year, even though we may miss the playoffs, the data suggested and supported an increase every year. But what we do internally is we, we take that, it, that data and we look at the data. And then what we do is we apply what's called the human factor. And we say, okay, yes, hardcore support for this kind of pricing model, but let's back down because these are our people. These are our ardent supporters. They're the ones who have supported us through the year. That's where we apply the human factor. So, you know, the Gordon Gecko would say, do not leave that money on the table. But the bus ethos says you leave that money on the table because we're in this for the long run with them. I think it's actually interesting. And Dr. Bus is no longer with us, right? Correct. He's passed. But yes. how much does your culture attribute to his innovation 
versus the one-two punch of him and Magic Johnson and the sizzle that he brought. I know Magic now has a role in your operations yeah. as well. And and what, what's how do those legacies differ? You know, well, the the Doctor Bus Magic, you know, that was an explosion that we hadn't seen, but it was an explosion of local, regional, kind of national scope. You know, you have to remember that, you know, in the early 80s when the, the Lakers were in Showtime winning championships, games were taped delayed. They weren't live. There, there wasn't this real time where the NBA exploded was Magic Larry, but where the Lakers exploded locally was, was, was the Showtime and how they became on fire. But that built the foundation and the framework that when Shaq and then Kobe came along, it exploded because by then there were, you know, more in different channels to exploit us worldwide. And now it's absolutely on fire. And I'll share this with you. And I, I, I don't know if you know this or not. I always think about this. This is kind of the essence of how important Lakers are to folks in the world. I, I have this photo on my phone and I don't know where I got it. I might've got it from Time Magazine or one of those. And it's a photo of a, a young guy and he's got like a, rocket propelled grenade launcher on his shoulder and he's in you know some sort of war setting and hey i don't know if he's a good guy or bad guy and i don't know if he's shooting at a good guy or bad guy because all i have is the photo but here's this young guy and he's got this rpg on his shoulder and he's wearing a white lakers kobe jersey so it always amazes me that here's this poor guy this poor kid who's going to wake up in the morning and he's going out to fight for his life or a cause, or his family, and yet before he does, it's important that he puts on his Kobe jersey. That, to me, leaves me speechless when I think of what this brand is. Let's talk about some Magic, Shaq, Kobe, LeBron. What is, the, is there a conscious, let's go get the one name athlete, the people that have transcended the sport, and is that star power critical to your brand and your success? Well, that comes back to when Magic arrived, Magic wasn't Magic. He had been very popular during the NCAA Finals against Larry Bird's team, but he became Magic through Showtime, and Kareem became Kareem through Showtime. And it's interesting because we, we do tend to end up with these one-name stars, but that's not unlike what you see in other you know, brands worldwide, Beckham, you know, you start getting these one word names. The one that's always troubling to me is, is one of our best players ever is James Worthy. And he's three, he's big game James. So he's completely screwed up the dynamic, but you know, for some reason we always end up with these one name guys who they transcend basketball. I mean, in our current world, they are what folks are following for lifestyle. There's a lot of questions here. Obviously the LeBron thing is a big deal. How much do you view your responsibility as sort of the guardian of the brand that, that that plays a role in attracting people like LeBron to to the Lakers versus just the ability to kind of win championships? You know, I think we go the opposite direction. We sort of zig when others zag. You know, uh, others now, they they throw stuff at folks. And, you know, we're, we're fortunate because of the brand, because of the success, we can make smart brand decisions. And so when it came to LeBron, you know, I'll tell you stories. The actual night of LeBron, it was it was LeBron and Magic, just the two of them. So I I wasn't there. I don't even know what they talked about. I assume I'm going to assume knowing Magic, it was mostly basketball stuff. 
But then in the 48 hours after he agreed and we started talking to his folks, one of the things that we impressed upon him and his team was, you know, LeBron, you're coming here and there's a weight off of your shoulders that you're, you're just coming to play basketball. We don't need you to sell any tickets. We don't need you to sell any advertising. We're good on our TV deal. We want you to just play basketball. And in the early days, you know, LeBron's folks said, are you going to do welcome billboards around the city? Because other cities have done welcome billboards and we're going to need to see the creative. And I said, well, do you want us to do welcome billboards? And they said, well, not really. I said, okay, we won't do welcome billboards. And they said, are you going to run ads in the local, you know, media about welcome? And I said, do you want us to? And they said, well, no, we don't really care. I said, we won't do it. They said, you know, are you going to do a press conference and announce him? I said, well, does he want to do a press conference? Well, we just, he's sort of agnostic toward it. And okay, we won't do a press conference. And so it was about, this is the tentpole of us telling this player, we care about you as a person and a player, and we're not going to run you over with our business needs. You know, just this past December, and this is before he hurt his groin against Golden State, I pulled him aside and I said, you know, I, I understand it's the holidays and I understand you've got family and you've probably got family in town and you get pulled in a lot of different directions from, you know, your partners and your family and us from on the basketball court. And I said, I want you to know throughout the holidays, LeBron, other than the NBA mandated stuff, I don't care if you do one interview, it's completely up to you. And that completely flips everything on its head because that goes counter against what a lot of teams do when they get a megastar is they just, they just ride that brand to try and capitalize from a dollar standpoint. About five minutes left. There's lots of questions in here. I think sports marketing has sex appeal, right? Uh, you, you have many people's dream job, either literally your job, and maybe you can tell us when you're going to retire, and maybe less literally just working in the sports business. So one, what do you think is required to crack into that? And two, what do you think are the similarities to somebody that has CPG or automotive or hospitality? Do they thrive within sports culture and sports marketing? You know, most other teams in sports, they're very sales driven. Okay. So it's, if I were most other teams sitting up here, it's about, you know, can you close? And yes, there is a sales component to what we do, but how we approach sales, and if you're in the business, you're selling something for us, right? If you're in the business, the way we approach it is what we try to get people to feel. You know, so we try to get the folks we're talking to, if you can feel, because if you can feel, you'll do it. If you'll do, you'll spend. And so the answer for us is it's always going to start with passion. We want folks who are committed and passionate about what we do. There's a fine line. You know, they were never going to hire Michael Eisner to run Disney because he liked to ride Pirates of the Caribbean. But, you know, we want folks to have passion for what we do. Now, does that translate to other industries? Yes, because we want good people. We want good people. Good people are hard to find. And good people in, in industries are hard to find. We always want good people. Because we don't expect someone to come in and know it all. But we want folks who are passionate to learn and they're passionate about and they understand what we're about. You mentioned the magic Larry Bird rivalry. And I really don't know if there's been 
something that's rivaled that rivalry in, in recent memory. But that, one of the cult brand principles is picking a fight. Uh, I'm a Mac, he's a PC, Coke versus Pepsi. Is that mandatory or do you guys try to create that as teams are coming in and really lean into that as a way of boosting fandom? You know, not really. I mean, you know, our thing is, is, is you know, we're, we have a mandate. We're never going to make fun of another player. We're gonna, never going to make fun of another team. We're never going to make fun of our guys. We try to, you know, stay above the rhetoric. And here's why I'm, I'm sort of anti-slogan. You know, slogans are big in sports right now. And I'm somewhat anti-slogan because, you know, we sit around with our marketing folks and we come up with this, like, catchy slogan, like, you know, we're going for the 17th, you know, in reference to the ring. You know, and I'm all proud because we've got this bitch in creative. And then I get to sit back. I don't, I don't have to live up to it. I'm not the one going on the court. And so I'm, I'm super mindful of creating narrative that the players have to live up to. And so we purposely don't try and create those kind of rivalries that then we get to sit back and watch the players have to live up to. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. How much of what you think that you've shared with us today is copy and paste, go back and sell your baby clothing, your tech startup. Is, is this really unique? Are you just fortunate to be able to be in a space that has this level of, a, of affinity? Or do you think that these principles have universal application? I mean, I drink the Kool-Aid. And so I'm going to tell you that I, I think they're transferable. I, I do. But it, it takes courage. It takes courage to do some of the things that are the long-term when there's a voice in your head oftentimes saying maximize revenue. To me, there's a little bit of a difference. I look at revenue and return as two different things a little bit. Return seems to feel more long-term to me. And so we try to be mindful of being careful of the little voice saying maximize revenue and, and look more long-term return. I believe some of the, the lessons that we imparted today, they transfer, but it takes some bravery. And look, it's, it was always easy for me to be brave spending Dr. Buss's money. Like, I'm the bravest guy in the room. But it does take a level of bravery. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Harris, LA Thank Lakers. You. Hey, friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band, turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you wanna learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information. It is so interesting to me that Tim, this president of a multi-billion dollar brand, uh, you know, chose to speak to us about culture. 
and to tell us the story about his mailroom guy. You know, we didn't prescribe what to talk about. He brought these things up on his own accord. And, you know, certainly aside from this cool campaign idea that he shared to catch fans being Lakers, there's just so much more to be learned about how cult brand leaders emphasize culture and how they treat their people. I mentioned during my intro that there's this correlation between cult brands and the character of their leaders. What Tim's comments reminded me of is also that there's a correlation between cult brands and organizations that are regularly recognized as being great places to work. You know, way too many executives, especially brand leaders, they focus all of their energy on external audiences and they're looking for ways to attract prospects and to convince people to come and transact for the first time. But the Lakers success teaches us the importance of catering to your current customers as well as to treat your people really well. There are benefits to focusing more energy on those types of groups instead of just prospects. It's the customers and the staff who can become evangelists for your brand and help bring other people into your fold. So with that, I wish you well, and we'll see you next time. Once again, this is your host, Chris Neeland, and you've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets where we explore the great speakers and insights shared at The Gathering, a Forbes top-rated business summit. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It really helps. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcast.com. Special thanks to Connor Standish and Laura Winter for their assistance in making this podcast possible. Also, I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.